panicking. Okay, I'm not panicking anymore. Cool. Give me one second. Give me one second. Using my brain. Sometimes it's really hard. Hi, hey, hello. Welcome to episode 26 of Trail Society brought to you by Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. Our show today is brought to you uh, with support from Athletic Greens, the green drink that is storming its way into all of your favorite endurance-centric podcasts. I know it's a healthy chunk of change, but it's an all-in-one. It's your multivitamin, it's your probiotic, it's literally a little bit of everything. So, you know, instead of buying six or seven things, you can buy one. And if you would like to buy one, you can go over to athleticgreens.com slash trail society. If you do that, and if you place your order, they're going to give you a one year free supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash trail society. I am the only one that's at home right now, as you can tell by the boxes and the camping closet behind me. Uh, you guys are both in Utah. What's going on? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we're in Utah for different reasons, but Keely, do you want to start and then I'll tell you? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in Utah cause I now for the past three summers have lived in park city for at least two months every summer. And so this summer we're doing the same and I was going to be training a bunch on the mountain bike after f- finishing Western States. But since my summer's taken quite the pivot, Um, I am now just starting the mountain bike on easy trails being here in park city while my boyfriend JT is training for a Leadville 100 mountain bike race. And so, um, we're going to be here through August going to go to that race and then come back through. And we just come here because we love it and love the mountain biking. And all the trails are so accessible from our tiny, teeny apartment that we, we rent from a local. How's how's the boot? I get the boot off hopefully by Monday. Yeah. When this so, comes out, you'll be boot nice. free. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yep. Three weeks That's down. Exciting. Hilly, Time I've got flies. a hilly goat. Look. Oh, look oh, wait, at that. Okay. For those of you listening and not watching, this is going to be really awkward, but. Oh That's the hilly goat scream. Uh, it's a bad water, a little bad water trinket that I have from our team from bad water. Um, you guys have to watch the YouTube video. Otherwise that's going to be super awkward. Um, <laughs> Hillary, Hilly Goat Allen, you're also in Utah. What's going on? Yeah. So I made uh, kind of a last minute decision. I'm out at Speed Goat. I haven't been here since 2015. Like it feels like many lifetimes ago. Um, yeah, I'm actually doing um, two races. I did a race today. I did the 28K today. Um, today's Friday. So just to give you a reference, I know this comes out on Tuesday. Um, and then I'm doing the 50K tomorrow. Um, and yeah, I got second in the 28K, 50 seconds behind Laura, no, sorry, Tate, um, Tabor Scholl. And uh, Dang. yeah, so I was actually running pretty good. Seconds? Only 50 seconds. I actually, yeah. it's so funny. I, I caught her on the last climb and we, and I passed her on the descent and then I like kind of let up. I was like, I've got a 50K tomorrow hill. What are you doing? <laughs> Oh, and she like, hammered it. No. And like t- t- Tabor was like, she's like, she's like, oh, I get it. Like, it's just so, it was really funny. Uh, so she, that was really fun. And I think she was 10th overall and I was 11th. So we, d- we, we crushed it. <laughs> Heck yeah. This is the first iteration of speed goat being a UTMB series race. Yes. Does it feel, does it feel different? What's going on out there? Um, 
we didn't have Pirates of Caribbean at the start. I think Carl got to choose the 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 race start music. <laughs> uh, but it was still like, you know, Black Eyed Peas or whatever. It was good. Um, no, I mean, it's different because there's, um, you know, it's just a lot more, more official, right? So like for check-in, um, uh, you have to, uh, it's just like the ID, ID like we had this, um, you know, discussion before with like TUEs and ibuprofen and like the more like drug testing, I think at the main, at the main event tomorrow for the 50 K, like that's going to be more present since it's a UTMB uh, presented race. Is it going to be courts or is, is it's is courts. Asada? <clears throat> it's oh, courts. courts made it stateside. No bueno. Yeah, so, not not so happy about that. Maybe I'll just be peeing in the cup after the race tomorrow, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. And so then, so that it's like, obviously I think a lot of people, um, the 50 K tomorrow, uh, depending on the result, you could get gain an entry into OCC. So I think that it's drawing a lot of, um, I mean, a lot more attention than Speaker already, already has. Um, but uh, just from like the, the fields tomorrow for the 50K are pretty deep on both the men's and women's side. So I think that's really the main the main change. Um, but I mean, I think Speedgoat's always had some good competition, but maybe it's just a little bit deeper this year. That's that's super cool. Yeah, I think it gets you, you can take entry for this year or next year, I think yes. for mm-hmm. yeah. OCC. So very cool. Well, we'll this will come out after that. So good luck. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 ease up on Jennifer Lichter or whoever else is out there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you can't um, let up tomorrow. You gotta win. Yeah, you gotta. Oh, you gotta okay, I'll try take, my best. <laughs> take them to the well tomorrow, Hilly. Okay, I know. We oh, know this boy. is UTMB prep for you, so I know that you're, yeah. you're going to be smart out there. Exactly. Thank you, Corinne. Yes, it is. It's like always. I think. And what other race that's like really good for you know, like just really good vert, right? I think it's one of the. It's like a, a U.S. race that like prepares you well for the European um, verts and races. So that's the goal. That's why I decided to do it. And they you know, like Adam, he's like, yeah, two day challenge. Let's go. I'm like, Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> See, I okay, got- I'll heckle the crap out of you tomorrow. So you're going to have to run faster. Ah! Yeah. yeah. Tell like me the, this. tell me the splits, like how far I'm back. How, if someone's like <laughs> creeping up on me, Oh gosh, I've got to figure out how to race tomorrow. I was like, <laughs> I got so nervous today because I'm like, I didn't race with the pack. I felt naked. I was like mm. in my shorts with like a handheld and I was like, what am I doing? But it worked out fine. That's so awesome. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I got COVID at Badwater. Oh. I, finally, I finally got COVID. We'll see if I have a coughing fit during this. I've been doing good. I went for a bike ride yesterday. I'm like 10 days out now. So I'm out of COVID jail officially. Um, I'm still testing. I still tested positive this morning, but I shouldn't be, I'm not infectious anymore, um, which is great, but pretty mild, pretty mild course of symptoms slash. I wasn't sure if it was bad water that was making me tired or COVID. So it's kind of, you know, like a, uh, a big question mark there, but we're going to dive into some, into some news and some race results before we dive into a really cool interview, um, that we hope you all like. And so to start off with the news stuff, um, we're kind of following up on a topic that we brought up last time that I brought up last time. And I probably brought it up in a way that was probably not fair to Keely and Hillary either. I gave them basically zero notice that we're going to talk about it. And when you're talking about policy, zero notice isn't fair. Um, because that, that, you know, can put us into a trap of being ill-informed. Um, and you guys told us about it for sure. You guys, we say our DMS are open and you took, you took advantage of that. And we want to thank you for sliding into our DMS and educating us, even though you, you shouldn't have to educate us, right? Like we're, we're three smart women. We should probably be able to do this on our own, but we want, we want to thank you for being part of our community and for bringing to it and bringing to our attention something that we really messed up on. And that is in talking about the UK triathlon, 
news in our last episode. And I don't, I don't want to apologize for bringing it up because I think it's important to talk about these things because it's, it is important to our community, to our trail and ultra community, because individual organizations are going to get to make these decisions. And we want to make the right decisions for our sport. We want to be inclusive. We want non-binary categories. We want to support trans women in the women's races. And I don't, I don't think we were clear enough about that in our speculation about how the UK triathlon um, agency was, was handling that or how they're choosing to currently handle it over there. And so I really want to thank you for sharing your thoughts and feelings with us um, for letting us make mistakes. Um, we know that we hurt some of you and we are forever sorry um, about that. It's, it's, it's going to be, you know, we're going to work for your forgiveness over time here. And, and one of those things that we do want to do that we've talked about for a long time is, is doing an interview with um, a trans and non-binary athlete in, in our sport, in our space. And we're, we're, we've been reaching out to a couple athletes to, to have that conversation with us and with you all. And we're really excited to hopefully bring that to you this fall. So, um, stay tuned, but thank you again, just for sliding into our DMS and, and wanting to have a conversation with us because that's the way that we're going to learn. And that's the way that we're all going to learn. Um, and thank you for engaging for those of you who engaged in those conversations, who, who let us, who let us respond back to you and, and brought that, brought it and turned it into a conversation. Um, I really want to thank you for that because that, that was, I think what we want these platforms to be. So, um, I think that is that for now we're going to kind of, you know, on that same vein, we want to, we want to talk about supporting races that we think are doing, doing really good work. And one of those races is going on this weekend actually, actually this going on right now while we're recording this on Friday. Um, that's the high lonesome 100. Um, while no races in our sport right now, we, that we know of are offering non-binary categories. There are races that are at least trying to make sure that representation is there on the starting line, um, in the binary. Um, and that is high lonesome 100 is happening right now. And they make a huge point of in their signup process and in their lottery that it is, they get 150 starters for the race and they make sure that it's 75, 75 on the start line. Um, so huge, huge shout outs to those race directors, Caleb and Kelsey. Um, we love high lonesome. It's a one heck of a hard race. And, uh, we want to continue to support races like that, like hellbender, um, who are really stepping outside of what has been the norm to, um, make a big change in the sport. So thank you. High lonesome for doing that. Yeah. And I guess another news thing that came out, um, is a new paper. So yay, more papers. <laughs> we love these. Um, unfortunately, this one's really, really long. Um, and also unfortunately it's a little bit inconclusive, but I'm going to call it out anyways. And it's called, uh, markers of low energy availability and overreached athletes. It is a systematic review and meta-analysis. And, um, it's ba it's based out of the university of Guelph in Ontario. And, it's relatively similar to some of the findings that Trent Stellingworth's team had found in their meta-analysis in a similar topic. But basically, I know that that um, title sounded a little bit scary, but basically what they're looking at is the relationship between low energy availability and overtraining in athletes. Um, if they want to see, you know, if people are overtraining, is it because they have low energy availability? And if they have lower energy availability, is it because they are overtraining? Um, and Basically, the conclusions were a little bit non-conclusive, but they did find that low energy availability is not necessarily necessary for overtraining to occur. However, most of the athletes that exhibit overtraining symptoms do have at least two low energy availability symptoms. 
Um, however, declining performance doesn't always mean that an athlete has low energy availability. Um, and this just really emphasizes the need to individually monitor and tailor training to athletes, right? Because obviously one does not equal the other in all scenarios. Um, but they did find that it was more prevalent in women in most of the studies that they looked at that when women did have these markers for low energy availability, it was more tied to this overtraining. Um, but again, it's a lot of tailoring to the individual athlete that we need to be mindful of for like, you know, training women versus training men um, so that we can really get it right and avoid both of these things. Yeah. And this is where definitions are going to become like all over the place and kind of erratic. Cause in my mind, you know, with trends paper, what they kind of said was that, you know, low energy availability, like what, like how we differentiate between overtraining and reds, for example, was that low energy availability piece. And so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, is that actually what we're getting at here? Is that once again, like that's one way to, in that a diagnosis of elimination, right. Of eliminating all the factors. That's still kind of how you would, how you'd pull apart the curtain of like, oh, this category is overtraining and this category is low energy availability into red S right. Mm-hmm. Kind of along that spectrum. But I think the biggest thing to stress there was that Low energy availability does not necessarily equate to immediate performance declines, but over the long haul, it's almost, you know, it's almost always detrimental to athletic career and, and health more than anything. And I think we want to stress the, the health point where people can get away with low energy availability for a little bit, but man, the long-term consequences there is, is the big issue. And so being really wary of that as a coach, as a young athlete, as an old athlete, as whomever you are as a parent is that, you know, someone, you can kind of cheat the system. You can get away with it for an amount of time and then you can't get away with it anymore. I think was kind of something that they highlighted in this study as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy to get caught up on the micro level, right. Of like doing very low calories every single day and feeling okay and doing it and doing it on that micro level, but thinking on that macro level of the bigger picture, those long-term effects of that are are just not going to be advantageous to your athletic career. Yeah. And then I think our last piece of news is um, about the Tour de, Fe- Tour de France Femmes, uh, Avex, Avex Zwift. So brought to you with, with Zwift, the online training platform. Um, it This will, I think it starts Sunday, the 24th. So this, it'll just started when this is coming out. So if you've not yet watched it, this is Tuesday. Um, there are eight stages going on. So you have a chance to watch, watch the, the remaining four or five stages. Um, six stages of um, the TDF for women, essentially, at that point in time. It's really important, though. Um, this is not the first Tour de Femme, Tour de France for, for women. Um, it's really important to honor honor history in that, that actually the first La Tour Femmes was way back in, ni- in 1955. Um, and then it happened again from 84 to 89. And then women were actually banned from the Tour de France all the way until 2014, but starting again in 2014, when the purchasing rights to the name, to be able to name a race after, after the tour happened again, that race happened all the way up until 2021. So it's important to acknowledge that this is, this is a really cool step forward. It's an eight stage race, um, to acknowledge that there's more support for this version of the women's race than ever before, you know, kind of to acknowledge that there is inequality still within in the tour, but that, you know, this is them fighting for a stronger, better future for Latour, for the, for the women's field. And then in an interview with, with a woman from Zwift, who's kind of responsible for making this happen. Um, she said, funny enough, most of the grumblings is that it's only, and that's in quotes, eight stages. 
But anybody on the inside and anybody who's ever talked to the women's world tour riders knows that you have to build slowly to launch the race in a sustainable fashion and build year after year is the goal to ensure that it will be thrilling from the very start to the finish and to ensure that the teams are prepared for it. When you compare to men's tours teams, the women's tours teams don't necessarily have the budget to go for a full three weeks and it takes a huge amount of capital to pull it off. So the idea being, yes, we're recognizing that instead of 21 days or 22 days, like the men's race, an eight, an eight day race does not seem fair or does not seem adequate, but to support the women's teams that are, that are, that are sending, sending women's teams to this event, this is something that's financially sustainable for those teams and allows the race to be hopefully as exciting as possible over those eight days. And they, the plan is to continue to grow this year over year. So I think that's really cool. I think it is a step in the right direction. I can say that I think with more, with more confidence this week, that's something to call something a step in the right direction. Um, female cyclist hit me up. Tell me, tell me that I'm very wrong, but I do think that, um, it's cool. I'm really excited to see Zwift behind it. I'm excited to see a, a, a woman at Zwift at the helm behind this. So, um, I will be watching when it starts on the 24th. Um, it should be a really, really good race. So I think those are our news bits. And t- speaking of races, we had some races that happened, uh, okay. this past weekend, the big one being, uh, being the hard rock yeah. 100s, not without its own controversies, right? Yeah. Oh man, it seemed like everyone was there too. <laughs> and everyone got COVID. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, Keely, you, you were part of crunching these numbers, talking about kind of what, what was announced last, basically mm-hmm. this time last year ahead of the race. You know, we were sitting there at the Trail Sisters panel and Gina got to, you know, tell us about this, which was really, really cool was they were making a change to the lottery system, which still is not a perfect lottery by any means. We're not going to say it is, but this was a step that they were able to pass through the board in order to make a big change for this year, which, you know, 18.6% is that's pretty close to Western States. That's double what's in UTMB. So while not perfect, I think that it's an interesting step for the, for the race and for the board to take. Yeah. I mean, and so going into 2022, this was the new policy that Gina had told us about. Um, they actually created different lotteries for men and women so that the two lottery structure actually turned into four. So it used to be never finished and finished. And now it was men never finished, men finishers, women never finished and women finishers. Um, and they did this so that they could hopefully strike a better balance between welcoming new runners to hard rock Um, as well as maintaining that hard rock family aspect of the run, um, but also to like try to boost those female numbers. And so they were basing some of the women's entrance percentages based off how many women were in the lottery for once, um, which they'd never done in the past. Um, And so this year that kind of showed itself, which I think is really exciting. And, and while, you know, 18% is not super high, it's, it's a lot harder, higher than last the year before, which was at 10%. And so I'd say, you know, if they double participation in just one year, imagine, you know, how this will manifest in five years and 10 years. Um, well, like I know women who are, who are, even if they don't necessarily want to run hard rock, yep. they are saying, well, I've got a hard rock qualifier. So I'm putting in for the hard rock lottery because mm-hmm. every single woman that puts in that increases the percent of women in that lottery. And therefore that will increase the number of female starters year over year, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so if you are a woman listening to this podcast and you've finished a hard rock qualifier, go ahead and throw your name in the hat. 
Maybe you don't want to do it yet. Maybe you do, but by doing that, you will increase the amount of females who get into the race next year. It will still and take eight to 10 years to get into the race. So there's <laughs> exactly. probably no, there's probably no real risk of throwing your name in the lottery. If you're not quite sure you're ready for it. Totally. Yeah. And then I think another thing that just held true, um, for those listeners who have been with us since our first couple of episodes, um, where we crunched a ton of female participation numbers at hard rock, the finisher rate held true for this race as well. So it started off with 19% female and out of the 114 who finished 18%, 19% were also female. So yeah, it went up a 10th of a percent. The starting, <laughs> the starters were 18.6% female. The finishers were 18.7% female. Um, once again, right. Like women are more likely to get timed out than pull yeah. themselves out. So I think we're likely to see those kind of those strong finisher rates for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the first female who finished absolutely crushed it this year on her return to the course. So Courtney Dualter came back and had redemption at the course to say the least hitting a new course record by over an hour running 26 hours and 44 minutes, which is just mind boggling on that course. Yeah. Um, So so crazy. Busting the record by six hours. Seven hours. And and breaking that record that is the long-standing record for 20 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. So phenomenal yeah. record. Yeah. It's but, bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Stephanie Case ran solid all day, kind of moving up through the middle of the race and then hanging on a second. Um, and then Hannah Green. Silverton Gal. Hannah Silverton Green. Gal got third. Yeah. And then I I don't know if you guys were watching the race, but like the the men's top three ran together for a long time. It was wild. It looked like Dakota put a move in, but it sounds like Dakota was just like felt good running down a road section. (laughs) Like it just was really easy running. So I ran. Um, But ultimately going through Cunningham, like 10 miles from the finish, Killian and Francois were still together. They raced it in. Uh, Killian broke his own. He broke, well, he broke his own, a direction record and he broke the overall course record um besting francois's course record from last year by about 20 minutes um in 21 36 24 i think yep right reverse yeah. mm-hmm. we revert we got some number reversed and then francois dehane was second and then dakota jones durango durango guy um finished third he joked in this pre-race interview that it was a race for third and he made it look a lot better than that. So Dakota, I mean, they oh just gosh, yeah. phenom- phenomenal race. And I cannot wait for the women's race to be that tight as well. And I think it's just going to be about getting some more women on that start line, building out, building that out um, to continue to, to chase that trend. Like we've seen at races like, like Western States, you got to get enough people on the start line to make it competitive and then it'll happen. And it'll be so just unbelievably exciting when it does. Um, one other race result, um, I was out at Badwater 135. Um, this is not without controversy, I guess. And I don't know if it's fair controversy. Um, Ashley Polson uh won the won the women's race in 2409, um, breaking the women's course record that was set back in 2019, maybe 2015. Uh I think it was 2019 by a Polish athlete. Um Ashley was a triathlete in her past, her past life, um, and served a doping suspension during that time. It seems like it was from a contaminated supplement. Um, but once again, you got to know what you're putting in your body, right? That that's your job as an athlete. If you're going to be drug tested. Um, so it does seem like it came from a contaminated supplement, but you know, that's still the athlete is at fault at that point. She, she did serve a six month suspension because it was a contaminated supplement. 
you know, that was almost 10 years ago, I think at this point. So she's gotten a lot of flack for having that history, which, you know, technically she's allowed to race triathlons if she wants to, right. She served her suspension. You're allowed to come back from that. So there's a lot of controversy around, you know, was her time fair? There's speculation, um, of cheating, which I mean, obviously the athlete that I was with, we, we were, we were well back of Ashley. So we weren't out there to witness it, but you know, there's a, a notion maybe of like innocent until proven guilty a little bit. And so I just, I feel bad for someone taking a lot of flack on for, you know, past mistakes for, um, for running potentially like just an outstanding race and, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. maybe not getting the credit or getting to bask in that a little bit that she, she very well does, does and should deserve. So, um, yeah, very, very impressive finish on a very hot day. Um, it was really cool to watch those runners make it across death Valley. Western States is not that hot. You guys, <laughs> did you pace Corinne at all? Or did you just crew? I paced 40 miles of it. I paced every, I crewed every two miles from the start to the finish. And I paced 40 miles Oh my gosh. of it. The longest stretch I did was 14 miles where we were getting ground temps of 147 degrees, um, which is brutal. And, uh, so yeah, so Western and, and I had COVID probably during that. So it was a good time. <laughs> so COVID uh, kind of came at a perfect time for you then. Cause you need, I was recovery. feverish. I didn't yeah. even know. Holy yeah. smokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, last results. Um, I've been watching the world champs every single day. Yeah. Yeah. They got me yeah. through my spinning, oh, my spinning God. indoor reps nice. before it was lovely. They're on my uh, home turf. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're in Oregon. <sighs> mm-hmm. Eugene, 2022. Big, big shout outs to the marathon ladies. Um, I watched the last probably 75 minutes of that race when I woke up and that was really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Fifth, seventh and eighth for USA women is really high and they ran so awesome. Too. They ran so fast. Emma Bates, who was the second US women to finish in seventh place, got a PR during this race. And then just, there's a, there's a picture of them that went viral through like women's running mag and all sorts of magazines where the two Sarah Hall and Emma Bates are just cheering like crazy for Kira to finish. And it's just mm-hmm. such a cool picture for female running in the United States right now. Um, gives me all the feels. Yeah. So if you're not watching the world champs, go back and find it, go back. <laughs> this is not an advert for Peacock or whatever, but go back and find it. Watch it. <laughs> it's so good. I watched the men's 5k heats last night and was captivated. So, um, watch it. It's really, really, really just amazing. We're going to move on to meat and potatoes but before we move on to meat and potatoes, the feed, we got to give a shout out to our friends over at the feed and we've got a code for you all. We haven't had a code yet, but now we do because we're official and we're more professional than we've been in the past. And that is thefeed.com slash trail society with a new code trail society 15 for 15% off your order order. You guys, I'm out of waffles. I've eaten, oh, no. all, I'm, I've eaten all my waffles. I think I have one left. And if Steven eats it, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> they were having a waffle sale the other day, but I just saw that it expired, but I think that waffles were on sale. And so you got to keep your eyes open because they yeah. have sales that last like 24 hours that are just phenomenal sales. Um, and that would have been a way to replace your waffles, but apparently you missed it. Um, I'm out of the Kyoku, the, the like breakfast shake, Mm -hmm. um, that I have loved it. I've been adding it into my like morning mush, um, because my other protein supplement that I used to use is out and I might just continue to use it because 
it's like filled with protein as well as just a ton of superfoods. So I feel like it's a great um, addition for my breakfast stuff because I normally try to do a lot of protein in the morning. Yeah, this is good. It's a good segue into our meat and potatoes today. <laughs> but I mean, I I love all of the. I've actually been supplementing a lot of like different trying different proteins to see like which ones I like. Um, so I actually really like the QQ as well. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just something I've been like trying different shakes and seeing like if I'm using like Ascent protein or Swiss RX protein or the Kyoku and seeing which ones I like. So mm-hmm. it's cool to have that variety on the feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're, if you're in desperate need of some sports nutrition or breakfast product, or I don't know, recovery tools and you're traveling and you can't get to your normal run shop or whatnot, or you don't have a normal run shop. I don't know. I don't know where you live. Um, <laughs> check out the feed again, that's the feed.com slash trail society. And with our code trail society, 15, you can get 15% off. All this will be in the show notes. Go and buy some snacks um, on us, essentially. Um, meat and potatoes. We're going to talk more about fueling um, with this phenomenal, phenomenal uh, boulderite. Um, Hill, you want to introduce, introduce who our interviews with today? Yeah. So Dina Griffin, she, so I've had the pleasure of working with Dina in person or collaborating kind of on different athletes that I coach and that, you know, she can coach, but, um, we talked specifically with Dina about peri and postmenopause nutrition and training. So she's a board certified specialist in sports dietetics. She's certified by the international society of sports nutrition. She's certified level two metabolic efficiency training specialist, and she's the founder of her own um, practice, I'll call it, of uh, the Nutrition Mechanic. Um, we all love this name, um, but it's a Boulder-based nutrition company and that offers one-on-one nutrition coaching. Um, she offers a 16-week course for women over 35, focusing on lifestyle and nutrition change to optimize our potential and diagnostic testing. So she's a wealth of knowledge. Um, it's amazing just to even get to speak with her for like five, 10 minutes. We go to the same gym in Boulder. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just, we get to ask, ask her a ton of, a ton of questions that, you know, all, all of you guys, our listeners have been, have been, I think, wanting us to answer, um, but who better to talk with than Dina. So. And if, and if we don't address your questions specifically during this, Dina is amazing. She's got a great social media presence. She's got a great website. You can definitely find her. She is a findable human. Um, and she is also open to our proclivity to DMs. So mm-hmm. um, if you got a question, seek her out. All this will be in the show notes. Um, so we're going to step right out of the way and uh, let Dina introduce herself. I'm Dina Griffin. I am a registered dietitian, a board-certified sport dietitian, and I run a private practice called The Nutrition Mechanic. I'm based out of Boulder, Colorado, and my business is focused around helping athletes of all abilities and ages to really excel at whatever athletic pursuit or life pursuit that involves adventure or outdoors or any kind of sporting event, um, just to optimize nutrition to facilitate whatever that goal is. And I guess personally, I love being outdoors myself, a big fan of the mountains and, uh, mostly my passion involves being on trails and wearing shoes to do that you know, being on foot. So, 
I'm also uh, really passionate about helping uh, women athletes, especially those that are in midlife years. So that's a little bit about me. I mean, I'm a career changer. I got into the nutrition realm in my early 30s. And honestly, I didn't know at the time that I wanted to focus on working with females and women um, as much as I do now, but throughout my own aging process, experiencing injury, um, a number of things from a health perspective, and then seeing the array of things that women go through with regard to sport and fueling and dealing with just being generalized by, you know, the medical community. Um, it just made me really, my curiosity was, was peaked and I just wanted to do what I could to support women from this nutrition angle, um, just to make a difference in, in whatever capacity. Um, and so I think you know, I think through my own experiences and then with the um, different kinds of female athletes that I've worked with, there's just so much there that not only from an education perspective, just but just from supporting each other. And I know you all do such a great job on your podcast with that, being able to talk about stuff. Um, and so that just that whole angle of support, education, um, promoting health and longevity, and then doing that through the nutrition angle is, is really, um, you know, kind of the foundation of it. And then from the performance side is gosh, you know, we can do badass stuff throughout our life span. And I want to be a part of that, whatever you <laughs> need to make that happen. I think what is coming to light is more this uh, like 40 and older crowd where we're realizing just hearing so much more that we're not the same as our male counterparts, that we have differences. And even though we may not know a whole lot of those differences from what that means from a fueling perspective, um, you know, there's still a lot more to be learned. It's, it's uh, a lot of those seeking to either become stronger from, you know, muscular strength perspective or just getting into sport more and maybe partly from the pandemic, just seeing the impact of what a healthy lifestyle can lead to and then finding that space for honoring our own time. Um, and so I think what that translates to is a lot of ultra athletes, a lot of triathletes, think people are just trying more adventure and, and really you know, not letting age be a limiter, but wanting to find out how to do that when we're not 20 anymore. Uh, perimenopause is essentially that phase when our primary sex hormones start to shift the way in which it manifests primarily, or the things that we tend to notice would be a change in menstrual cycle regularity. Mm -hmm. um, so that could be just the duration of the menstrual cycle itself, but so it can, it's all over the place. We can see a shortening or a lengthening. Um, typically we'll start to see a shortening, you know, our periods may come more quickly. Um, you know, it might be every 20 to 25 days, um, as we go through perimenopause and our sex hormones, estradiol and progesterone start shifting. There's just so much more flux. Um, we start to see a lengthening of the menstrual cycle. And then along with that is just a change in 
the duration of time that we bleed and, and the heaviness. So there's like a lot of layers there. Um, and those are the things that we kind of notice first, but now that we're being able to talk about this more and share with each other. Um, and by the way, this typically happens in our mid forties. Um, but we can also then start pinpointing, oh yeah, there's these other signs or these other things that we're feeling. We just didn't really attribute it to this phase of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, most commonly is like, wow, you know, my, my, my periods are different now. What, what's going on and what's happening? This speaks to the importance of, of having our female athletes track cycles and knowing history. So from my perspective, when I meet a female athlete is understanding, you know, at what age were you when you first started your period? What, what level of athlete are you? How regular have your cycles been? You know, do you use oral contraceptives? Really getting into the nitty gritty to understand um, past history to also then build that current picture. Um, and so I think one of those things is really being disciplined or diligent with tracking cycles and tracking the other things that we feel. Um, and so there's that definite concern about underfueling or low energy availability and how that may play in when we're in our 40s. Like, well, what is it? Is this perimenopause or do we have some fueling issues um, that need to be addressed? Of course, all of that is on my radar, trying to put the whole picture into that perspective. We're in postmenopause when we haven't had a period for 12 consecutive months, but what if it's up and down and we have a few months and then there's, you know, um, a lot of training load and we're throwing that into the mix and some fueling issues. I think it's very blurry. And so it's important to be as proactive and educate ourselves as much as possible. Um, But I think in our forties and I've been through it myself, just like, Oh, well, and then there's that layer, like, Oh, I didn't want a period, at least for my age and my, you know, I'm, I'm in my early fifties now. It's like back in the day, we, and maybe some of you relate to this too, like, well, we didn't want a period because it's mm-hmm. inconvenient anyways. So there's that to overcome as well. Like, no, actually we need to know our cycles have periods so that we know our health status and we know where we are on the spectrum of our life cycle stages. Mm-hmm. But I think the more that we're you know, paying attention and supporting and normalizing this phase, I think that that is positive. One thing that Dina has on her website that really embodies how she works as a practitioner goes as follows. Health is a foundation to our potential, but we are not limited by body size, the aging process, or how we experience changes throughout the female life cycle. As active and athletic individuals, we can also modify our nutrition and recovery to better support our performance and strength goals as we phase into our master's years. I think it's just like the best summary about what she's doing right now for the community, especially the community in Boulder and and how we can view our master's years, right? Like it doesn't have to be an excuse or something that's a limiter for us. I love that this is like a big career change for her to like kind of pivot into this, like this space as a dietitian and to, and we kind of use dietitian and nutrition interchangeably, but recognizing that dietitians have a lot of training and a degree behind it and hours and hours and hours and hours of internship stuff. It's, it's bonkers. 
um, to kind of pivot into this and to not even be a hundred percent sure what she wanted to do. And then this curiosity building of like, I think all of us as, as scientists, as coaches, as humans, a lot of our own questions, a lot of our own scientific questions, right. Are like about our personal experiences, either as a woman, as an athlete, um, as an, like what, what we go through in our daily life. And I'm sure, you know, it, it definitely sounds like that's where she drew a lot of that curiosity from to bring into her practice and, and to work specifically with women kind of as you, as you move through life, right. And recognizing that each of these life phases brings a whole new, you know, a whole new chapter sounds very like uh cliche, but I feel like, you know, she addresses that head on and I really love her, her kind of energy towards that kind of like practice. And I think like, even just when she's talking about menopause and how it impacts all the athletes she's working with, I think she just brings a new light to it because one of the things that I'd noticed she talked about on other podcasts was experiences instead of symptoms. And when she talks about menopause, instead of calling the experiences that women have during this time of their life symptoms, she calls them experiences because she acknowledges that every single woman, or at least a lot of women go through this in their lifetime. And so it shouldn't be a symptom, right? It should be an experience because we all experience menopause. So let's cut back to the interview with Dina to hear about how she works with her athletes to understand these experiences and then how she translates that to how they should train, fuel, and recover. I feel like the word, and tell me if I'm a nut here, but I feel like that word symptom or like side effect, you know, it just it's associated with like disease mm-hmm. and it's just doom. Yeah. yeah no, I love that you use it because menopause is not a disease, right? So yeah, there shouldn't be symptoms. Should. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, again, I know this isn't so nutrition specific, but it's like part of the whole story, you know, sharing and like, what is your experience, whether it's your race experience, your you know, pubertal experience, your upbringing, menopause, we're just trying to normalize all this stuff, but then appreciate and have, again, I feel like I'm a woo-woo today, but it's like, um, what's my experience and what's yours? Can we share in this? And, and the experiences, although they may not be comfortable all the time, but it's like, oh, wow, I have this too. Um, you know, and then, and then when we get to talking about it, it's like, oh, geez, there's a whole bunch here in terms of the impact. Um, and this ties to nutrition because we can mitigate some of these experiences, but truly the set of symptoms or experiences is quite vast. Um, I mean, I think you can Google like how many you know, side effects, symptoms of, of menopause are there, and there's, you know, 40 or 50 or there's tons, but I mean, it can range everything from, um, the common one being, you know, your, your hot flushes, night sweats to mood disturbances, sleep disturbances. We have fatigue and things that can then overlap in how we're training, how we're fueling. So fatigue and that need for extra recovery comes into play. Um, I mean, we can experience a loss of appetite or a heightened appetite, more cravings. Um, you know, we've got uh, maybe anger and some other emotional states to contend with. So truly the list, sometimes it's surprising to see what the experiences are. I think one of the biggies is the sleep issue because mm-hmm. um, sleep, 
And I know you guys are big supporters of the aura ring, but like paying attention, what's going on with sleep, try and find that pattern if there is one and working with that, because that can affect, you know, if we're not sleeping well, some of us, I, I feel like it's almost one end of the spectrum or another We're we're not eating well or eating enough the next day to support training, especially if we have early morning sessions. Um, and for some, it might be, you know, a lot of cravings because the brain's like running low on fuel and we got to put in more calories and we may not have some um, purpose or planning in advance so we can be scrambling a little bit. So the sleep connection hmm. is big um, and how that ties to appetite and fueling the workouts adequately or optimally. So we're getting the most out of it. I think this is a biggie though, is almost convincing and I'm not a coach, you know, like, like you also, it's, I need, I need your help in supporting our athletes or teaming up. Like, um, it's okay to miss a morning session mm -hmm. if we need to actually sleep longer, mm -hmm. you know, so we're, uh, then we can kick butt later in the day or tomorrow we can get to it. Mm -hmm. And I think also the fatigue piece, um, Sometimes we get in the mode of chasing food to like keep our energy high or our blood sugar high. And because our fatigue and, you know, just with perimenopause, that that switch um, or flux in our home hormone states can really affect our appetite regulation. Mm -hmm. And so that ties nutritionally to ensuring we've got, you know, enough protein in our meals, some some of the healthy fats in there so that it's not just carbohydrates that we're getting, you know, we're looking at quality of food and some of the other macro nutrient and micronutrient parts of how we're putting together our foods and meals. I love when we can test things just to see what's really going on inside. Cause as we all know, you know, you can't always feel like, I don't know what my, my sensor is. We don't have a sensor for like my estradiol level today <laughs> is, or a ring or any of that stuff. So, um, if we can do some testing, depending on what's going on. So I'm not one to just, you know, prescribe thousands and thousands of dollars of tests. If it's not indicated, I usually would vote for blood testing first. Uh, I think y'all are fans of that too, for various reasons, but maybe we want to look at iron levels. If we are feeling a heightened sense of fatigue, unusual fatigue, we know we're, we're training quite a lot or we're preparing for a big race. Um, and we're in a perimenopause phase, or even if we're premenopausal, but just to rule out or optimize. So looking at some of the micronutrients through blood testing, like B12 for our vegan vegetarian folks, or those who don't consume a whole lot of animal protein, iron being a biggie or red blood cell health through a CBC. Um, there can be some other hormones we want to look at, but as, as you may know, uh, testing estradiol and progesterone through blood testing has to be really timed well because it's so variable day to day. Um, so I, I don't usually get involved in that. I leave that up to the, you know, physician, um, if they're going to do that. And maybe that's indicated because we've, you know, we are early in our thirties, for example, and, and we've ruled out uh, you know, red S or perhaps we're just trying to validate what's going on. The only reason I will prescribe 
like some other functional hormone testing is to see um, what the cortisol levels are throughout a circadian, you know, 24 hour period and look at the metabolites um, because we're told a lot by some of the, the newer um, practitioners in this space that with perimenopause and menopause, our cortisol levels rise. And, you know, there are implications with that, but I've actually seen a number of athletes who have very, very low levels of cortisol, either because they're under fueling, not sleeping, extra stressed or whatever. Um, that just helps me validate what we're going to do nutritionally and help me support that athlete. So I, I'm not one to, again, prescribe a whole bunch of testing for no reason, or if I can't you know, if I, if I need the backup, maybe these tests come into play. Okay. So while I did not talk a lot during this interview, you guys, I was nodding my head vigorously while taking notes throughout this entire thing, um, which I'm sure was like not distracting at all to anyone, but I thought it was really, really cool to harken back to our last interview that we, you all heard just two weeks ago with, with Ladia and with Liz talking about pregnancy and having to roll with it. This is another chapter, another phase in life where it feels like you have to be so incredibly adaptable. And while the three of us sitting here have not yet experienced these chapters, I know we all work with athletes that are actively going through this right now. And I'm sure that I'm sure relate to this conversation just so profoundly. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's this whole idea with it, with that topic that she talks about with experiences. Right. And I think it, it can create almost a more, Dina, she talks about, she doesn't want to be like, but like, it's important to have a more inclusive environment. So people feel welcome to talk about it with your, with your coach or with her. Um, but then instead of viewing it as a symptom, like these, you know, these things that everyone experiences kind of when this disease, it makes it sound like it's a disease. Yeah. When it, when it's not, but it can be more inclusive when you're like, okay, well, what is your experience around sleep? Right. Like that's a common quote unquote symptom that people kind of like that, that women experience, um, kind of going through these different phases. Um, I just really like how she, I think you like, like you said, none of us have gone through this yet, but it's like. It makes it approachable, right? Yeah. It makes it approachable. Like it seems a lot less scary. And that was like how Mm -hmm. I felt about the pregnancy talk too, is like Mm -hmm. when you break down the barriers around these conversations, around these, these, you know, stigmatized things, when you break down those barriers and you just have a conversation about it with your gal pals, with, with your significant others, with your trail, your trail friends, with your medical providers, with your coach, with someone like Dina, I think breaking down that kind of like taboo, stigmatized, ugh, like th- these negative connotations that surround it, like all of a sudden it allows you, I think, to make this phase of life feel approachable and feel a lot less scary and isolating. Yeah. yeah. And also just like rolling with the punches, right? Like Ladia um, and Liz talked about that a lot. And, and I think Dina talks about that too, with this whole idea about experiences, like it's not the same. So we just have to be flexible and like, tell me about what you're experiencing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think the experiences are really interesting because I think, you know, even outside of menopause, we have a lot of experiences, right? We have our menstrual cycle, we have pregnancy, we go through a lot of changes within the month or within a cycle of these life stages. And so for me, the first thing I thought about was just like how ultra runners mindsets are right. And how we're very, very like used to suffering and used to different pain. And so my first question to Dina was around like, well, what are some of the concrete things you can test during this phase of life too, to kind of just show, you know, the athletic female that she is going through menopause and to give herself some slack instead of just viewing it as another suffer fest and something she has to endure with no end. Um, and I love that she was talking about how she like looks for certain blood biomarkers so that they can, you know, have a solidified answer around what is changing and how they can improve that. Um, because it reminds me of back when I was like super under fueling. And the only thing that basically tr triggered my mindset to change was my blood test results. And through those blood test results, I was able to then talk with a dietitian to implement new nutrition strategies fuel my, for my fueling like regimen. And so let's cut back to the the interview now with her talking about how she takes these, you know, experiences and then translates that to fueling interventions and how these women fuel during their menopausal years. Gosh, it's a whole can of worms, right? The diets, the diet trends that are out there. I mean, it's scary, <laughs> uh, especially for on social media, depending who we follow. Um, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to think of a diet trend that I would support unless we're talking like a style or a pattern, you know, mm -hmm. like the Mediterranean style of eating mm -hmm. where we're choosing anti-inflammatory type foods. Some of these are cliche words, right. right. Or, or healthy fats, air quotes, um, you know, and we, we also have, you know, social connections and we sleep well and all the other parameters that go with healthy eating. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, it's very challenging to your point. It's very challenging to keep up with what makes sense or what's applicable to athletes and female athletes. So we always need to be looking at the context, you know, where, from where was that diet originated? Who, who, who is it? appropriate for, you know, was it in a clinical setting, not really in an athlete setting and it was more male centered. And so those are the things we need. If we're not familiar with looking at research studies or the, you know, nitty gritty background, we have to team up with, with someone like you and, or me and like, okay, I'll help you understand the background. Um, detriment wise, I think there are a number of current trends that can be unfavorable, especially for female athletes. And I would just say generally any kind of diet that is cutting calories or restricting major food groups, we should just raise some red flags there and like be on the lookout. Um, so I get nervous about the keto diet for our female athletes, especially even in perimenopause, when we commonly start to feel and experience some weight gain, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we get in the mode like, oh, we got to cut calories. We need to, you know, cliche, we need to burn fat and all of this. And so also we're trying to train and stay, you know, fit. Um, keto, you see a lot of, of, of male athletes or other kinds of female athletes that really aren't training the way we are, or they're not the same kind of athlete. And that lure of that particular pattern 
um, you know, we latch on to, but with keto, you know, we can not get ample carbohydrates. We may just not get ample energy into the body. And then we can down the road experience some issues with, um, red S or low energy availability. I think I also have seen a number of issues with, uh, very strict vegan patterns and I'm not anti-vegan, but, uh, you know, there's a way to do it correctly or more appropriately. Um, but again, when we're limiting certain food groups, uh, and we're training quite a lot, um, you know, we just risk not being able to consume enough calories. And again, there's just this notion like, well, I'm trying to change my body composition and I want to, um, eat healthfully, or maybe we have other reasons to eat a certain pattern, but there just are a lot of things here, especially in this phase, uh, that we need to bring, bring to the table. So I think just, you know, generally the, the ones that are fairly extreme or limiting, we just need to do our homework and, and have someone guide us if we're going to pursue that and really understand why we maybe I should just be more clear cut and say, we don't need to be doing any extreme diets period. And we want to be fueling as well as possible to take care of our health and, and know that that will help us through our menopause transition, increasing protein throughout the day, or, you know, every time we eat, trying to get a good amount of protein, I commonly see, especially with um, female endurance athletes and, and ultra runners to our pre-menopause to perimenopause, post-menopause, just, you know, we're, we're skating by on, you know, adequate protein or maybe minimal, um, just to get by, but cause we were making room for the other calories, but if we can optimize and really push up daily protein intake, it can do so much, not only just for feeling, more satisfied, but also just thinking of the things going on behind the scenes, like our bone health, um, if we're doing some strength or resistance training along with our endurance training is trying to maintain muscle, uh, mass, because that's something that's highly affected as we move into the later perimenopause years into our, you know, postmenopause phase is that we lose muscle mass more easily. Of course, we're aging at the same time. So, I'm a big protein fan. Um, and that can be animal or plant or both. We don't need to be too, you know, political about it or anything. Um, I think alongside mm -hmm. this is also trying to ensure adequate calories. That thing doesn't go away just because we turn 50 or 60. Uh, we still need to fuel our workouts well. Um, you know, the other things I think about nutritionally, just supporting these phases. Um, in this change into perimenopause into postmenopause is, um, you know, the micronutrient side and that's stuff that not many mm -hmm. focus on. So we're just trying to, you know, make sure our, those, you know, vitamins and minerals, the phytonutrients are there. And, and really what that translates to is you know, eat your fruits and veggies, right. All your colorful foods, you know, and then alongside all this, we're trying to be athletes. So fueling well comes into the picture. There is this notion to be more careful with 
you know, simple sugars, meaning maybe we don't need quite as much. Maybe we need to be concerned about gut health, the impact of, I'll use the air quotes again, like excessive, simple sugar, but yet we're trying to fuel our workouts, not only prior, you know, pre pre exercise, pre training, fueling, but during what am I supposed to eat if simple sugars are not recommended quite as much. So I think then that speaks to, you know, can we bring in more uh, semi-solid foods or some mixed calorie sources. Uh, So maybe in our context, like the trail and ultra runners, if, if we are, you know, at a lower intensity, low to moderate, maybe we can tolerate, um, you know, we can use like the nutrition bar example, like little nibbles of that. Um, I'm, I'm not one to remove simple sugars completely just because now we're in peri or postmenopause. I think we have to consider the effort involved in the duration, what it is we're looking at alongside GI tolerance. Um, you know, so, so it's, it's like, well, we have the fueling piece for our movement and exercise training, but then we have all the other hours in the day to focus on stabilizing blood sugar. So I, I almost would kind of sort of treat those separately, but, but not exclusively, uh, under fueling, even when we're in perimenopause, whatever age that is, or postmenopause, that does not help us become a stronger, fitter athlete. And so whether we're in a different hormone state or life cycle stage, um, there's so much benefit to fueling our sessions, even if we're a recreational athlete, even if it's an hour run, you know, that even ifs, I I would say more often than not, the opportunity for that fueling to be there and to honor it does so much uh, for all of the outcomes that we're seeking. If we are dieting in pursuit of a body weight goal, I love talking to the touchy feely stuff. Like, how do you, how do you feel best? I mean, let's just talk the touchy feely stuff. Like, what is it you want to feel if there was no number you knew about your body size and shape? Like what, how would you exist? What is it you want to feel and, and having us talk about that, like, I want to feel energetic and I want to be able to do that one, you know, summit of that mountain and do this, that, and the other thing and live a long life. Like those are the things that we can clue into. I think that helps remove the draw to, you know, the diet culture world. Um, it's not nutrition specific, right. But it is kind of then latching on to that subjective and what it is I want to feel every day and being able to then do as a result of how I feel instead of the number on the scale, you know, like that false belief that when I achieve this weight, then I can do X, Y, Z or feel X, Y, Z. So there's a lot of Maybe it's language and using different words um, and just shifting that mindset. Like that number isn't really going to dictate anything. I can speak to personal experience, haven't been on the other side of underfueling. Like, okay, I, I made it through, but it really, it didn't, 
it could have gone a lot better if I had been in the mode of feeling well and, and really practicing and honoring that. And so I think just to say that again, like fueling workouts and knowing that we uh, can do so much more with our bodies and our brains by nourishing, um, no matter the athletic pursuit, it can take us pretty far. Like my race resume is, is teeny tiny, but um, just, you know, like my Leadville 100 experience, I mean, I made it to the finish line, but I think when I did a recap, it was like, I averaged, you know, like 106 calories per hour. Um, I mean, I, I was on the camp, this was, you know, almost 10 years ago, like how low can I go just to avoid GI distress or how, you know, like kind of proving something like I'm a good fat burner and I don't need carbohydrates. There was a lot of that mentality 10 years ago, and maybe there's still that, um, and some other things like that. And then health wise, um, you know, like failed pregnancies and things like this, I think, you know, in hindsight, under fueling and being in low energy state, it didn't, it didn't bode well for the things. And now that I'm, you know, I'm older, so I can't compare apples to apples, but being more proactive with fueling, um, just, I feel so much better, you know, and less injury, uh, and just like, I'm in my fifties and can still do things well and feeling like there's so much more to achieve. It's almost in line with Hillary's mantra. Like, I can't remember exactly like your best athletic days are to come. I feel like mm -hmm. that is something that, that ties to this feeling peace and bringing in, you know, midlife years, like we're not done yet. We got a lot to do here. Okay. So what I think really like just like hit me in the feels here too. And I think, and I think harkens back to so many of the things we've talked about over the past 25 episodes of this show is that it's really easy to get caught up in diet, to get caught up in diet as a guise, you know, using these, these terms or, you know, these restrictions as, you know, as cover for something else. And I really loved this, you know, that food is a relationship that food is a feeling that food and your needs can be subjective as opposed to objective. And, and once again, Dina, you know, wanted to avoid the feeling woo woo, you know, about it, but I think that's an important piece of this puzzle. Like while we all wear our science hats, like we have to wear our human hats and humans have a relationship with food. Food is not just fuel. Food is so many things, so many experiences to all of us. And I kind of love that that came out even in and around, you know, modest recommendations for things that we can be doing in our day-to-day -day life as, as particularly as an athlete moves through perimenopause into postmenopause. I've actually talked with, um, with Dina about, and like I mentioned, we kind of did this little forum with some women um, in the gym that we all go to um, or in Boulder at Revo Sports and Performance. And we specifically had a kind of a, a really, um, we actually got into a lot about the protein um, aspect. And I think it's something that maybe endurance athletes um, haven't paid as much attention to. Uh, like I certainly didn't like years ago, but now I've kind of shifted at that. And 
now kind of going into like my mid thirties. And then, you know, as I get into my, like my late thirties and then into my forties, it's like shifting your protein. And Dina has been some, a really good resource to be able to talk about this shift and like what women actually need and how you can increase that with not only the activity level that you're doing, um, the sport that you're doing and the age that you are and kind of what stage, um, in your hormones you are in your life as well. Um, so it's been really interesting to kind of to read about it and then also to learn about it. And uh, she was just, she's just she been a great uh, resource and it encourages um, me as an athlete to do that, but, you know, any athlete that I kind of give to her as well to coach in that, in that regard. Yeah. And obviously, like, throughout this whole thing, she just continued to emphasize that we always need to just prioritize eating enough. And then we can kind of specialize if we really need to focus on, you know, micronutrients, but really just emphasizing that eating enough is really, really important to increase training adaptation and everything. But this also goes full circle to kind of the article we talked about at the beginning of this episode around training load, right? Because again, nutrition does not stand by itself. Nutrition is part of the overall package of being an athlete. And so she also really emphasizes working with coaches and with physical, physical therapists to really help the athlete optimize their potential in all avenues of their life. And so let's cut back to the chat with Dina now and hear her talk through this. I will say I, you know, since I'm a dietitian, I do everything I can on the food side with whatever the goals are. So if we're looking to, um, I mean, body composition seems to, you know, it's on a lot of our minds and I don't mm. discount that, but there's also all this like, well, what does it mean to be healthy? Um, you know, what is that? How do we bring in the food piece to support disease prevention and all the things that, that, tend to happen more as we age. Um, so, you know, let's do everything we can with the food and maybe some supplements and so forth. But when I feel like I've exhausted that, or I'm seeing clearly, and even though I'm not a coach, you know, I team up with, with people like you all to educate, you know, um, you know, maybe we can't just run 20 hours a week. We've got to, to support muscle mass, because we are going into our perimenopause, postmenopause years when we more easily lose muscle and lose strength. And so shifting, you know, the endurance training, bringing in more higher intensity work and strength and resistance work, uh, definitely can play a role, not only with body composition, but just supporting skeleton and, and many other systems of the body. I think more and more are coming around to just being open to that because more people are talking about it, more practitioners and coaches. Um, and we know that that supports our aging process as well so that we can be strong, older athletes uh, and stronger in general. I was joking with Hillary, uh, a few months back, like I want to be 80 and carry my own damn groceries, mm -hmm. you know, like, <laughs> so being strong, functionally strong, mm -hmm. not just doing a bicep curl, you know, but being able to, to do all that stuff when we're older. So I think more, more women are open to that. It's just hard when we feel maybe more, um, you know, we might feel more stress relief when we're out on the trails, for example, than in the gym lifting, but we've got to consider everything. 
I'd love to just solve all of our problems through nutrition, right? <laughs> I, I wish it was was that easy or just through like run, just run and we're all good. Um, yeah, I think it's important for, gosh, just really grasping and being open to understanding like you can eat really well and be really fit, but if you're not sleeping well, um, and some of that's not our fault, you know, we can try and sleep well, but with hormonal shifts and this change in our, in our life cycle stage, like some of us just aren't going to sleep very well. What can we do about that? I think part of this process when I'm learning someone is understanding their, um, I use complaint as a word, but I don't mean like, oh gosh, you're whiny. I just mean like, what are you suffering with? Um, and certainly try and tackle that through optimizing food to the best of our ability, working within your preferences and your lifestyle and, and what you can do. Um, and then bringing in the other layers like, oh, I'm seeing, you know, I'm hearing and seeing and maybe we have your aura ring data and things like this to to really paint that picture of what's going on. These other levels that maybe nutrition you know, may or may not directly impact. Um, so we can look at, you know, using some of the gizmos like an aura ring to, to try and monitor if we make a nutrition intervention or a set of changes, how is that really impacting you? And what are the positives? Um, I mean, I, I feel like sleep's still coming up, even though, uh, I don't know, it seems like we should all know sleep's important, but if, I don't think we all do yet. <laughs> and so uh, trying to bring that into the picture and connect all of the dots, you know, sleep will help with insulin sensitivity. Sleep helps with your mood. Sleep helps with your appetite and, and so on and so forth. Um, so it's like all of these things connect and we can't just pigeonhole one aspect of our existence any kind of change in bone integrity or that remodeling ability. Uh, nutritionally, I first would look at overall calorie intake. Um, you know, back in the day, we just thought of calcium, like, oh, just eat more, drink more milk or whatever. Um, but also we need to just look at overall energy intake. And then we can get to the other um, minerals, calcium, you know, magnesium, vitamin D comes in the picture. So we could check vitamin D status via blood work. Um, you know, we, we may need to look at phosphorus. There's also some interesting gene variants that I'm learning about that can help us understand if we are maybe more predisposed to osteopenia. So nutrition pattern may look fantastic, uh, but the genetic testing and some of the gene variants that we're learning about can show potential. It's not prescriptive or diagnostic, but like, ooh, we, we really have to be on point with our nutrition. Um, and then of course the protein piece, this is the one you know, we didn't appreciate maybe a few decades ago that the role of protein in bone remodeling is pretty important. Uh, and then of course the exercise piece, having proper exercise to support bone health is important. If we do have that history, um, whether, you know, it was intentional 
underfueling or unintentional, or there's just, you know, maybe it was poor training programming or who knows what. Um, but I, I do see some of that, uh, reoccur or be back on our radar. Uh, once I learned someone's history and let's say they're in their forties now or late thirties, forties, um, you know, maybe they've been training differently and whatnot, things are starting to feel funny or even just joint issues that can come up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really important for us all to understand the history, um, depending on where the, like the severity of the, the experiences or the complaints that, that a woman has in, you know, midlife years, uh, hormone therapy can be quite effective. So if we're suffering quite a bit in our daily living, sleep's terrible, we're, you know, having a lot of issues, it's just impacting quality of life. I would say hormone therapy comes in the picture sooner than later, provided that we've been through the screening and we're good candidates for that. Um, I think that speaks to having a physician on board or on your team who really appreciates you as a woman, you know, and really understands that and is supportive. Cause I, I just hear repeatedly, like I was dismissed at the office, you know, I was talking about my, my, complaints and, you know, I wasn't heard, um, or I was, you know, I spent 10 minutes with the doctor and they just said to come back, you know, like they were just not being heard and treated well. Um, plus there's just a lot of misunderstandings with hormone therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, I think, I think just having a good practitioner who, uh, can assess properly your symptoms and your health history and risk and all of that is is essential. Um, so I think hormone therapy can certainly come into the picture to help through, you know, maybe it's even a year, right? It can just be a short-term use, um, but that's something, you know, working with a good doctor can help you understand what the what the course of action is. My website's nutritionmechanic.com and uh, I'm on Instagram. Although I'll be honest, I take little breaks from social media. So like the last three, four weeks, I've just taken a little break. I'm not winning the prize for like the most posts per day or, you know, reels or any of that. But uh, my Instagram's nutritionmechanic and I do have a newsletter, uh, as well, which is available to sign up for on my website. The other thing, uh, I do a small group program for women called the Nourish Circle. Um, So it's a small, you know, intimate eight to 10 women. And we go through different aspects of daily nutrition, fueling, um, talking about different aspects of um, micronutrients and things related to health disease prevention, and then bring in the performance side as well. So that is called Nourish Circle. And I offer that twice a year right now. I was definitely, once again, I'm nodding along to a lot of this here, but I love this collaborative feel that Dina brings to this too, of being like, you know, it's, she can't do everything as a dietitian. We can't do everything as coaches talking about this, like kind of working in conjunction as a tag team effort to attack diet. Right. She's like, I want to be able to fix everything with diet, but it's a nutrition, but it's not, it's not possible. So how do we 
How do we implement that? Like maybe strength is more important right now. Maybe high intensity work, but in smaller doses is better for this athlete kind of working, working together. And I just like fell hook, line and sinker for that kind of like, yeah, being, being strong is cool, but being functionally strong is, is cooler. Like the whole idea of like, I'm carrying my groceries all the way to the house at 80. Um, yeah, I, I, I have those same aspirations. So I really, I really enjoyed getting to kind of that sense of like, Hey, we could, we could do some cool stuff together here, which would be, I don't know. I think, I hope everyone's gears are turning at home right now. Yeah. I mean, they certainly are for me. I think it is the collaborative nature of it, right? It's not just, you know, just one, one thing that is like the you know elixir to life and sports and health and all this stuff. It's like, like a lot of, a lot of moving parts. Um, and something that really, I didn't ask kind of during the inter- interview, but it was just something that really resonated with me that I was able to talk to Dina about actually was like last year when I broke my foot um, and like I had a DEXA scan, Corinne, I know I talked to you about this and like, it was quite alarming. Like I had certain areas in my body, like I've always had a lot of muscle mass and I like, considered myself very like strong, but then there were certain areas of my body that were like, that I realized, okay, like it was kind of osteopenic they had kind of categorized them as and I mean it, like I know I haven't taken up boxing because we joked about that for like impact for my arms and like most people and women I think are like osteopenic in your arms if, if you do like endurance sports but like um knowing that maybe like running alone isn't enough to like be healthy it's like we have to think about all these other things um you know getting in the gym and then also the nutrition piece like the timing of nutrition exactly the correct nutrition she again mentions protein and the importance in bone remodeling um and it's just kind of all these different things and the stronger that you are um going into uh perimenopause like it, it gives you kind of i think uh um an advantage i guess so to speak or um yeah just just kind of sets you up better for it for that transition um so i think it's really interesting because i think just specifically for, you know, injury prevention and all this other stuff. It's just really good to consider all these different aspects um, going to your, go into your health. Yeah. And I think the group genius behind, you know, training this, this level of female athlete is, is really helpful and will be really necessary going forward because to her point, like nutrition can't solve everything, just like coaching can't solve everything. And so I'm really feeling the idea around like a trail society with Dina Griffin collab here and getting some of our avid listeners who keep asking us for pre and postmenopausal episodes to maybe like start one of her, um, 12 week little sessions and kind of do like a race specific training group and then work on nutrition with Dina. So hopefully you guys, if you are interested in any nutrition help, um, reach out to Dina based off of all of her lovely avenues to connect and yeah, hopefully she'll be a wealth of knowledge for you as well. Okay. That brings us to society slam. Um, brought to you by Aura Ring. As always, they've been a longtime partner with us and we we love getting to collaborate with them. Really, really cool. Um, they've also partnered with Strava. Strava's everywhere, man. They So really cool partnership though, because now you can pull your workouts from Strava into the Aura Ring app and vice versa. Aura's kind of changed some of their um, algorithm for how they pick up on and monitor workout heart rate. You can also use the feature where you can basically say like, I am working out now within the app to try to kind of, uh, 
I don't know, I feel like make it more accurate, but essentially you can, you can use them in conjunction now, which I think is going to more accurately kind of estimate, you know, kind of daily, daily exercise stress and how that impacts heart rate variability and resting heart rate and recovery metrics. So very, very cool. Um, but let's hear from you guys. Keely, what do you have? Oh my gosh, I have a really exciting society slam. So about 10 episodes ago, we talked with someone who was an adaptive athlete and his name was Patrick Pressgrove. And he was very closely involved with a company called Team Catapult, which is a nonprofit focusing on providing adaptive athletes with entry fees and equipment and all sorts of things. And he just posted today that for 2022, over $63,000 was provided to adaptive athletes. And these fees go towards competition fees, travel and lodging, coaching and training, sports chairs, running prosthetics, and other adaptive equipment. And this was the largest grant award season ever for Team Catapult. And so wanted to give them a shout out because that is really, really exciting and helping the future for adaptive athletes in sport as well. Amazing. That's so cool. Um, Hillary, what do you have? Yeah, so I did have a different a different uh society slam kind of lined up, but I just have to like it was the cutest thing um today at at the Speedgo. Uh 28k uh before the start it was kind of like around. Um and this uh this guy came up with his daughter and he said that he says his daughter i think her name was lily she could she she wasn't um she she must have been like 18 um and he was running the race and he was saying how big of a fan of the podcast he was and that he was listening to it uh with all of us and that he's gotten his he really wants his daughter to get into sport and that she loves all three of us and so she was really excited to meet me there and and um I told her I would pass on the hello from both of you. Um but it was just really inspiring to see like a uh a dad getting his daughter to like listen to us and wanting her to get into running. And so I think it's cool. We have a we have a number of those. I really <laughs> I'm really digging I'm really digging the parents bringing the kids along. Yeah. I feel like I met a number of families at Western States that were in that that same boat, which is it's cool that we're a family affair that we'll mm-hmm. try to keep our, our swearing to a minimum. Yeah. Mostly, <laughs> yeah, I've gotten asked that a lot of like, is are you sure this one's this one's pretty good with the swearing? We're like, yeah, yeah, I don't think we're potty mouths. <laughs> I don't think so. I feel like I do a pretty I, good job here. I think I'm the one. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> um, and then my society slam was um a shout out that slid into my DMs um for just, uh, I'll call her a baddie, right? I'm not going to swear. Um, from the East coast, I, her name came onto my horizon back in 2020 during the pandemic. Cause, um, her name's Alyssa Godsky, Godsky. I don't know Gide- how to say her name. Gideski. 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 Mm-hmm. Alyssa Gideski. Someone knows. I'm sure Hillary's had to interview her for the FK2 I podcast. I have. She's amazing. Her and Sarah Kai's at the same time went after, um, the Adirondack 46 peaks that are above 4,000 feet. Well, and she, and she won, she won that duel, which is insane. Sarah Kais is also an amazing athlete, but she just kind of one-upped it and went after the 48 peaks in New Hampshire that all stand at least 4,000 feet tall, um, which is bonkers. And she set the record, I think about a week ago, maybe more than that now, um, in three days, eight hours and 56 minutes. Um, getting to and from these peaks really quickly and really efficiently is super hard. The conditions are oftentimes wet. Your feet just get totally destroyed. So huge set out to Alyssa for backing up that Adirondack 
46 peak challenge with the New Hampshire 48 peak challenge. Just absolute crusher. So big FKT shout out there for Alyssa. Um, You're very inspiring. You're inspiring us to go come up with some crazy, maybe stupid adventures of our own. Um, But until next time, continue to slide into our DMs. Let us know what we did right. Let us know what we did wrong. Let us know if you got questions, right? Like hit us up for questions about this community. We're going to bring you some more really cool content along the pregnancy women's health line over the next couple of weeks. So let us know if you have any questions in that space. But until then, we'll see you out on the trail.